KYW Original Podcasts. From the KYW Studios in Philadelphia, this is Cinema Obscura. We obviously want to spotlight the spookiest and weirdest movies, but we also thought it might be a good idea to take a moment to discuss the stories behind the horror genre. I'm Andre Bennett, joined by Frank Trainer. And this week, we're talking about James Cagney as Lon Chaney in 1957's Man of a Thousand Faces. Please try to understand. This didn't start just tonight. All my life I've had it. All my life it's been the same. Kids tagging after my father and mother, making signs, yelling, Hey, dummy, hey, dummy. So proud they could speak they had to be cruel. Until I was eight, I never talked in the street just to make them think I couldn't. And when they yelled at me, I paid them back for my father and mother, and I grew up paying them back. That's Cagney as Lon Chaney, the silent movie great who brought to life some of the most memorable characters in film and certainly a couple of the most iconic in horror. This movie was directed by Joseph Pevney, and in addition to Cagney, it stars Dorothy Malone as Lon Chaney's first wife, Cleva, Jane Greer as his second wife, Hazel, and Jim Backus as his press agent and best friend Clarence. So Lon Chaney was a very enigmatic figure, and it's said that there was a lot of license taken to bring his story to the screen. Frank, perhaps you can help us separate some of the facts from the fiction? I hope so. Uh, First of all, just as a film in itself, I think it's a wonderful film, and it gives film lovers like us and everyone listening a nice peek behind the scenes For the silent era, and if you're interested in makeup, it's a wonderful study in what Lon Chaney did, making himself up into these unique figures that scared audiences in the silent days forever and ever. And I think some of the things that it took license with, especially the makeup that we just talked about there, the makeup in this film is different from the real makeup that Lon Chaney himself used when he was making himself up for these iconic roles like the Phantom of the Opera. But I guess to really get it the way that the filmmakers here thought that the audience needed to see it, a lot of masks were used. And apparently Lon himself never really went in for that sort of thing. He was more into facial expressions and lighter rather than heavier makeup. So that's one thing there. And the whole father-son drama, it's a great story in and of itself. It could have been a film separate from this, and it was a love story with a lot of turbulence mixed in. But I guess Lon Chaney and his son Creighton Chaney, who we all know as Lon Chaney Jr., had a fairly good relationship but was different from what was portrayed in this film And I don't want to give away this one touching scene where the elder Cheney is dying, but apparently that never happened. But it is a memorable part of this film and kind of says a lot to the generations who didn't know the older Cheney when he was up on the screen. Yeah, certainly the drama between Lon and Creighton was inflated for the movie. Uh, I believe that a lot of that actually didn't happen between them and... A lot of this you can find on Wikipedia, so it's not like it's any spoiler to know that, yes, Lon Chaney does die and his son becomes an actor in his own Right. right and also all the stuff with him and his wife. The broad strokes are true from what I understand. Uh, His first wife did attempt suicide. 
they did divorce. And because a judge didn't feel as though Lon could provide a stable home life for Creighton, Creighton spent the bulk of his childhood in foster care and Lon would visit him until he was finally able to provide for right. him. And, and the story of how he, you know, I'm just doing this to get my son out of hot girt is what he says to one of the characters in the movie. And w- what was meant by that is he took any job that was available on a movie set, no matter what it was, he did it. And he was a, a background actor, an extra. And he did have this ability to really change his appearance with makeup. And that goes back to his days on the stage. And because of that, if he went up and saw the call sheet and they were looking for pirates, well, he went and made himself up as a pirate and got picked. So that yeah. meant work. And work meant that he could help get his son back. We've talked about biopics before and about how they seem to follow the same formula. There's a childhood incident. There's one here, too, with him and his parents. Like the actual Lon Chaney in this movie, he is the son of hearing-impaired parents. That generates a lot of drama and uh, tension between him and his first wife. I don't know how much of that is the case. I don't know how much of that is true about their push and pull over their son. And it's said that there was a lot of license simply because – Lon Chaney was not a very public person by any means. Right. And to this day, he is still a beloved and respected person to any Marine that you will find around the planet because of a film he made back in the silent era. And his picture was on the recruiting picture for the United States Marine Corps for decades and decades and decades. So his son had a lot to live up to. And it's Easy for us to just say, well, you know, he just followed in his dad's footsteps and he became a horror icon of his own. Well, he had a whole different path. He was a businessman. He was very well established in a life away from anything to do with what his father did for a living until he decided to give it a shot. And I guess in real life, there were some problems with that. You know, whenever you tag Junior onto the name of someone who is famous in that same field, it puts There's a, a big, lot of extra pressure on that person. There are big footsteps. Yeah, the yeah, big, big footsteps. And I think Creighton Cheney, who we all know as Lon Cheney Jr., was very successful in yeah. following in his dad's footsteps. He was the Wolfman. He was the Wolfman. Yeah. And he was, you know, iconic in, in many other roles and a great dramatic actor, apart from the horror genre of Mice and Men, is still one of my favorite roles that he ever did. And that performance showed me as a kid when I saw that, that he could play anything. Yeah. With this movie here, I believe that the real draw of it, even beyond Chaney's story, is is Cagney. Let's get this out of the way. He looks nothing like Lon Chaney. Right. He's shorter. He's nowhere near as handsome. Lon Chaney Sr. was a very striking sort of guy. Not in your conventional handsome sense, but he had this darkness about him. He really was a man ahead of his time yeah. in a lot of ways. And. I think Cagney, who throughout his career did several biopics, this being my favorite of the group that he did, I think he just took over the role. And I think he became Lon Chaney. Yeah. And you could see every every scene where he was showing one of the iconic people that he brought to life in the silent era, that Cagney was fully invested in learning how to sign yeah. for this film yeah, was, uh, was no easy task. 
And I think he did a great job in portraying the drama of a, of a father who loses his son and growing up in a special set of circumstances like he did and then coming out the other side and sort of not being affected by Hollywood. And that apparently is true. I mean, he lived apart from he did. what we know as the Hollywood lifestyle. And part of that probably had to do with the circumstances of his divorce. The scandal really forced him out of vaudeville as a performer. Speaking of vaudeville... I think part of the reason Cagney connects so well is they both started out as vaudeville performers. Yeah, and Cagney does a lot of physical things in this film, and he always said when asked, I'm nothing but a song and dance man, and you know, danced uh, a good portion of his career, and he's very, very physical in this film all really throughout is. it. So we have another clip from this movie. This is where Cheney meets with MGM production head Irving Thalberg, played by a young Robert Evans, who, of course, would go on to become the head of Paramount. And that's a whole story in and of itself. They made a movie about it, in fact. But this meeting ultimately leads to one of Cheney's signature roles as the hunchback of Notre Dame. Did you read the book? One sitting. Couldn't put it down. That's the way it hit me the first time, too. You see, when I was a boy, I was sick quite a bit. They made me stay in bed. I had nothing better to do, so I read every book I could lay my hands on. I'll never forget the first day I read The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Set my temperature sky high. Now, now I want to make it into a picture. You know, between you and me, this company could use a prestige picture. And I don't think anyone around would mind if it made a couple of dollars, too. The whole project scares the New York office stiff. They see it as ten reels of sheer horror with a monster playing the lead. Tell me, Mr. Cheney, how do you see Quasimodo? I see him as a man deformed, cursed, tormented, laughed at as a freak, but his tormentors never see the heartbreak or the tears. That's just what I want the audience to see, Mr. Cheney. The soul of a man that God made different. And that is an amazing scene. And it goes on to get even better when you see the makeup that they use. Again, probably a lot different from what Cheney would have done, but Bud Westmore's recreation of the makeup throughout this film for all these special Cheney characters is amazing. His performance when he's the hunchback and he's on the wheel and he's being tortured and then they yell, cut and he comes down and his first wife happens to be on set and there's a poignant moment there that I don't want to give away but it shows the audience that this was a very bitter divorce. It really was and everything about his first marriage feels very tortured. He didn't tell his wife about his parents, about his childhood and Cleva didn't understand and was very callous about the whole thing, and she all of a sudden became very afraid that her son would be born different. And it shows you in the film where young Creighton, a.k.a. Lon Chaney Jr., doesn't respond you know, for the first couple of days when he's home from the hospital yeah. and doesn't cry like other babies. And, well, he does, he does and then cry. all of a sudden that all is yeah. just washed away, and Lon shows her that you know he's just fine. But yeah. 
but their know, marriage never recovers. Yeah, and that, that whole theme of being different is mm-hmm. all throughout this film. Yes. It, it really is. And and to the point where his son, who's played by Roger Smith, who— Well, as an adult. As an adult, who many people will remember from his television program, 77 Sunset Strip, and he also was the young Patrick Dennis in Auntie Mame, and the husband of Anne Margaret, does a wonderful job in portraying— something different as well because he is the loyal son to his father mm-hmm. who he idolizes and then he discovers that he has a mother. Yes. You know, he never knew that his mother was alive. She had been written off and I guess he told her that she's dead. And he becomes very different and goes and takes care of his mother and the whole theme, like I yeah. said, of being different all throughout the film comes up over and over and over again. Again, that actually didn't happen the way it was in the film. In real life, he didn't really get to know his mother again until after his father's death, from yeah. what I understand. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And you know what? As we sit here today and record this episode, you have to think to yourself, does it really matter if all these facts were sort of correct, but there was a lot of liberties taken with it? I think it's a great love story. Yeah. And from beginning to end, it's a great love story, a father and son and husband and wife and the guy who's in love with his career. There's a lot to like about this yeah. film, even if there are some question marks like, eh, that didn't yeah. really happen. I think on its own merits, it's a very fine movie. And that really is what matters most. How does it work on its own merits? Yeah. And in this case, I think it does stand on its own. I saw this when I was young. There was Mm -hmm. a television station when I was a kid that once a month would air a film uncut except for a brief commercial message at the beginning and at the end. So this was like the first time I ever saw a film apart from the drive-in or a movie theater that was on television with no commercials. And it just sucked me in so much that I wanted to learn more about who Lon Chaney was, Lon Chaney Jr., and it sent me to the library, which is a good thing, which happens with a lot of folks who, when they're young, they start getting into films. It points them to the library to learn more about it. Yeah. I think this is a good introduction to him. Yeah, it really is. I liked everything about it the first time I saw it on television. I've seen it multiple times since, and I catch little things every now and then. And you mentioned Jim Backus is Lon Chaney's agent in this, and a lot of folks will know him from playing Mr. Hal on Gilligan's Gilligan's Island. Island. Or as Mr. Magoo. And the voice of Mr. Magoo, yeah. And you'll catch some character actors in this, and it's a well-shot film. The makeup is tremendous. The music is great. Uh, the story is wonderful. And it gives you a great glimpse of what Hollywood was like back in that age. And, and you mentioned about Robert Evans playing uh, Irving Thalberg. Thalberg's real wife, Norma Shear, happened to spot Evans when she was at some function and said, boy, he looks just like my husband. And oh, wow. And convinced the folks at the studio he used to run that this guy had to be seen because he would be perfect for Thalberg. And he was. He was a wonderfully touching Irving Thalberg, who, again, a a lot of people don't know how important he was and, you know, how behind the scenes he made so many great things happen that Evans does a great job bringing this young genius to life in this film. And then the kid stayed in the picture. And then the kid (laughs) stayed in the picture. 
So Man of a Thousand Faces is currently available on DVD and Blu-ray. You'd think it would be available for rent or streaming online, but alas, you'd be out of luck. Any last thoughts, Frank? No, I just, uh, you know, it, it came out um, when I was a kid in 1957, and I saw it, uh, I guess, not that long after that. And again, the very first time I saw it, uh, that one sitting has been with me you know, decades and decades and decades and decades later. And I just, I just was impressed by everything about it. And, uh, you know, I love Cagney and you and I have talked, uh, you know, out of the studio about his biopics and he's done several and I think they've all been good, but this was my favorite. I, I just thought it showed so much range in his ability as an actor. And I don't know what he ever thought of this film. I, I, I never heard any, interviews uh, where they talk to him about this, but I think he does a wonderful job. If this is uh, a time that you want to look back, as you said at the very beginning of this, at the origins of horror and who made this whole part of filmdom that we love so much possible, Lon Chaney has to be right there at the top of the list. Certainly. Frank, thanks for bringing this to us. Thank you very much. Cinema Obscura. And I'm Andre Bennett with Frank Trainer. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced at the KYW Studios in Philadelphia. You can find this and other KYW shows on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Need the money, Gert. I need the money. I'm trying to get my kid out of Hawk. <laughs>